Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. You can't be sceptical about everything. That's the idea we're exploring today in a new weekly philosophical broadcast from the Irish Times. Scepticism is an ancient philosophy, arguably undergoing a revival today, as people doubt everything from the existence of God to the possibility of moral or ethical knowledge. But should scepticism be seen as an endpoint, a destination, or rather a vehicle for arriving somewhere else? We discussed this with Paul O'Grady of the Philosophy Department at Trinity College Dublin. He started by explaining who were the first sceptics. One of the schools of later Greek philosophy, the Hellenistic philosophy, was called scepticism. And these later Greek schools, they tended to be practical in their orientation, so they, they wanted people to live well. So their goal was that people would be happy. And the sceptics believed that people, a lot of the time, were unhappy because they were disagreeing about things that couldn't be resolved. So people had political differences, people had religious differences, and there seemed to be no obvious way to resolve these things. So the sceptics said, maybe the solution to these things is to suspend judgment. So you, 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 you just persuade people to back down on the dogmatic views that they were advancing, and then you get societal peace. But also within the individual, the claim was that you get peace as well. And part of what they did then was that they developed handbooks by which you could use modes of argument to try to get people to wean them away from the strong views that they held. Okay, so I mean, just give us an example of a, a sceptical statement or a sceptical position maybe on a, a topic, uh, whether it's scientific or moral or, or, or some other field. Well, some of the, the classic issues that have come up in philosophy, and they might sound very odd to, to kind of normal kind of views of things, but there's, for example, scepticism about the external world. So we, we all believe that there's a world around us and there's tables and chairs, but how would we go about demonstrating that or proving it? And if you think of the... Um, you know, the movie example is The Matrix, where you're believing that your reality is thus and so, but in fact the reality is that you're a brain in a vat with this data being fed into you. What kind of evidence or what kind of reasoning could you bring forward to suggest that reality is as you think it is, not how it might be in the possible hypothesis? So that's one possible thing. Another thing is, for example, other minds. So historically people have said, I'm directly aware of the contents of my own mind, but I'm only indirectly aware that other people have thoughts, etc. So what kind of reasons would lead me to think that other people have minds at all, since I'm only directly in contact with my own and don't have immediate contact with other people's minds? Is scepticism then, I mean, it's, it, does it offer any route out of those dilemmas, a, a path, you know, to, to, to answer some of the questions? Well, um, while, while the ancient sceptics really believed in scepticism and thought that it was a panacea or it was a solution to various problems, other philosophers approach scepticism more as a method or as a tool. And famously, Descartes, the, the great 17th century French philosopher, thought that you could use the method of doubt as a way of actually figuring out what was good knowledge. So his, his methodology was to say, well, let's doubt stuff as far as we possibly can go. And then when we reached the terminus, we found something that's fairly stable and solid. So he goes through a method of then saying, well, maybe you don't know that you're in a room with tables because you could be in a dream. Um, and then maybe you don't know, um, you, your perception could be skewed, you could mistake a round tower for a square tower. 
But even even deeper beliefs, like, say, your mathematical truths that you seem really kind of stable of, there are circumstances where you might come to doubt those. And he has this wonderful idea that, you know, perhaps there is a God, but God is an evil genius rather than a good, and God is systematically deceiving you. And that's the origin of the Matrix example, actually, so that you've, instead of God, you've got this mad scientist. But the, the idea is that you've got somebody who's cleverer than you, who's manipulating the appearances around you to get you to believe otherwise. So it's not that Descartes believed that skepticism was right. But he thought it was a completely useful way of trying to figure out the nature of knowledge and its grounds and its scope, how knowledge might go wrong and where you might foundation might find foundations for good knowledge. Do you see any problems with scepticism? I mean, way you describe it there, it seems a largely positive, sort of useful philosophical tool, or, or does it run into problems? I guess the, the, the issue is the scope of scepticism. It becomes problematical when you start doubting everything. Uh, and again, in ancient philosophy, people recognize this because... Uh, Aristotle talks about some of the ancient skeptics being reduced to merely waggling their finger at their opponents because even as you express or articulate a skeptical view, you have to assume that your sentences are meaningful or that the people you're talking with understand what you're saying. So it seems that there's always some residual stuff that you believe in, even that is worthwhile persuading another person to change their views. You've got to believe there's another person and that they have views and that your views are better than theirs. So the idea that you can be completely skeptical about everything all the way down becomes problematical to sustain you reduce yourself to silence so one of the interesting questions then i guess is about the extent or the level of skepticism and how you draw the boundary as to what's good skepticism versus bad does it undermine the whole project of skepticism though in a sense once you accept you have to kind of take the leap of faith somewhere down uh, below does does it on uh, dismantle the, the the whole project or how, how do philosophers maybe square that circle I, I think one of the big differences between contemporary philosophy and philosophy in the tradition that dealt with skepticism is that contemporary philosophy is more at home with the idea that our knowledge is fallible. So it's open to the thought that what we consider as our firm knowledge might be revised in the future or might change or we might come to think of it differently. Whereas in the past, people were wanting to get the, you know, the absolute definitive final version of things. And it seemed that if you didn't get the final absolute definitive version of things, then you didn't have knowledge at all, and then skepticism worked. So the thought now is that, well, if we accept that our knowledge is fallible, and that maybe, as we say, this is our best shot at knowledge at the moment, it's not 100%, but maybe it's 90%, or we think it's justifiable, it gives us the possibility that we're wrong. It gives us the possibility that we might need to look at new evidence to check out our beliefs. Um, but, it, but it says that we're not conclusively, we're not 100% certain, and that inquiry is an open-ended project that we're seeking to revise constantly as we go along. But still, the thought is that nevertheless, and there's this wonderful image from a philosopher of the mid-20th century, Neurath, he said that our knowledge is a bit like a boat that we use, um, and the boat is floating on the sea, and we, we repair it or we revise it piecemeal. So if we repair the whole lot at once, we sink, uh, and we're not able to navigate or negotiate the world. So the thought is that we hold various other things firm while we are doubtful about a certain thing and we check it. And then when that's reasonably solid enough for the moment, we move on to something else and we check it again. So the thought is that there's a, a general framework there of stuff that we more or less accept. And then there are particular areas that we may be sceptical about at times. Uh, and then we might reach some kind of consensus about that and we move on again and focus our scepticism elsewhere. 
I mean, this is maybe a question as much for a political scientist or a sociologist, but do you see scepticism as a philosophy that's, that's kind of taken root, possibly related to the decline of the religious influence and, and other modern influences, that it's become a, maybe a bit of a default position in public discourse? I think there are sociological, interesting sociological questions about the general approach that people take to things. And very often, if a society has been very uh, homogeneous and has been very authority-oriented, it would make a lot of sense then that scepticism would be a resultant uh, impact of it. But the part of the, the, the subtlety of the thing is that there is a sense in which scepticism itself can become uh, a dogmatism or the dominant party line itself, which is not, not supposed to be. And what I mean by that is the, 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 the thought that at somewhere or other, you're probably going to have to make a commitment to certain basic views. They're revisable and you might kind of seek to change them but that n not everything is up for grabs. So you're going to have to commit yourself to certain kind of things and offer considerations or arguments for those particular views. Um, and it, just pro tem, you, you hold those views or you seek to make them plausible to other people, but it just doesn't make sense to think that you can push scepticism all the way down. And I think the really interesting stuff happens in looking at the arguments for those interim or fallible or stopping places that we hold. Um, and it's sometimes in there that I think in a lot of the public discourse at the moment, there's impatience. So people are sometimes not willing to have the patience, evidence, sifting approach, but it tends to be more a slagging off match and people just dissing each other's views. Do you feel within that as well? I mean, I know some philosophers have, have commented on the sort of smuggling in of values that um, there's a there's a, a level of whether you say it's underhand or, or sort of freeloading that some maybe scepticism is engaged in. I don't know whether you you'd share that sort of concern that that um, it's it's not entirely upfront in, in its approach to, to public discourse. Well, I think good scepticism is 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 just always a good thing. I think one of the problems about bad scepticism, if we define it, is just the covert nature of it. So I, I suppose if there are covert values, it's good to make them explicit. Um, and you know, part of, part of Wittgenstein's work has been about making what's latent patent. So you just bring out the underlying assumptions and you bring out the underlying views and then seek to figure out, well, wh why, why do you believe it? And not just merely in terms of some kind of sociological or psychological story, but what are the reasons behind the views that you hold? And I think one of the things about philosophers is that over the history of our discipline, people have held all sorts of weird views. Um, and we're, we're interested in looking for the reasons and for seeking to understand rather than necessarily looking for knockdown refutations of positions. So, you know, philosophers from Plato through to Kant, who are the greats in the tradition, have held views that we now often don't hold. But it's very instructive and interesting to try and figure out, well, why did they hold them and what was the insight and what were their assumptions? And then what can we learn about that? And I think it's partly about broadening our intellectual horizons and understanding that there may be more possibilities in play than the ones that we're or, or the, the framework within which we're thinking about this particular debate. There might be interesting new ways of thinking about them. Can you give us an example of a case of scepticism in public debate at the moment and maybe this covert nature within the, the sceptics of not all values being, being shown up front? Well, so I was thinking about all, all these issues. There are a lot of controversial issues and people feel really strongly about it. But I think in some ways th th there's a way in which scepticism can be very easy. So you just are a debunker and you're throwing things out. And there is an example, but it's from the realm of film that I think is really nice in this. So in that great philosophical movie, The Big Lebowski by the Coen brothers, there's a bunch of German nihilists who are characterized by the 
every so often saying, we believe in nothing, we're nihilists. And then towards the end of the movie, they're robbed of their money. They don't get their money and they're giving out to the John Goodman character saying, this isn't fair, we've lost our money. And he says, well, what do you mean it's not fair? You're nihilist for God's sake. How do you mean it? And I think there's a really nice performative paradox in there where on the one hand, they're espousing certain views. And then on the other hand, actually, in terms of their practice and what they really believe, they actually hold certain values. We want our money, etc. And so there's a certain amount of toy or play scepticism where people can articulate the view, but actually are covertly committed to all sorts of stuff underneath it. Can I ask finally, would you regard yourself as a sceptic or a semi-sceptic or... Oh, I'm a good sceptic. <laughs> no, so, so I'm just setting it up. So, so I think the edge of scepticism is really useful. And, and just being sceptical in some ways about your own views. So I have certain views that I kind of hold fairly strongly. And it's important and salutary at times to be knocked back and someone just says something or argues in a certain way that leads me to worry or think, oh, maybe I got that wrong or maybe I need to revise that. And some of the great philosophers, for example, Bertrand Russell or Hilary Putnam in the modern period are characterized by having a variety of different views. They change their minds. Uh, Wittgenstein famously had an earlier and a later period. Heidegger had an earlier and a later period. So the philosophers themselves, who I think a lot of people value and think are good, are people who are self-critical or self-skeptical and change their views and are upfront about it. Paul Gregory, thank you very much. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.